Welcome back to another episode of Inside Mentors Minds, where we dive deep into epic humans' minds and find out what got them to where they are today. Um, today, we have a very special guest, Ian McLeod. Welcome, brother, to the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. So um, for the listeners out here um, and viewers, um, Ian is the owner of Nirvana Strength Bali. Um, and he is my coach uh, who helped me facilitate my body transformation. Um, do you want to give the viewers a little background of who you are, Ian? Uh, yeah, sure. So I, uh, I, you know, I've been in fitness for quite a long time, um, you know, usually over 15 years. I, from the US, USA, so, you know, sports have always been a big part of my, my background. And, you know, growing up, and playing a lot of sports, the idea of how we prepare for the season, you know, was always about getting like bigger, stronger, faster with regards to American football. Uh, there's a certain level of mentality where, you know, even back in the old days where they would say things like, like waters for weak people, you know, <laughs> waters weakness. And it's like kind of a very extreme mentality. And, um, and then this is this would be in like South Texas during the summertime you know, doing two a days, like three a days. And it's just, yeah. Um, and, and I understand the concept of it, right. It's like a certain amount of like mental fortitude that we're, that you're trying to build in that kind of environment. Um, but sometimes it can be kind of pushed a little bit far. Now that's not to say you don't want to work on those mental components as well, which is something that we'll talk about as well through our conversation is, um, and, and that's something that's, I've, I've progressed significantly, uh, over the last five to six years with the development of Nirvana Strength. Uh, I've been, you know, I've done the body composition stuff. I've done uh, powerlifting. I've done the whole CrossFit and all like all these different things. And, and, and what we'll talk about mainly is this idea of uh, optimization and, uh, and how can we do it in a, in a smart, more effective way that minimizes the, the setbacks. Cause that's, I think that's something that people kind of sacrifices they'll make progress um, the top priority and not think about how this is actually going to negatively impact them in the future. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that that's kind of like the ethos of Nirvana. Um, for anyone uh, tuning in, Nirvana strength is quite different than a gym. Like when I say like owner of a gym, like I think of conventional gyms. So do you want to just kind of break down what separates you Nirvana strength from like a lot of gyms in the world? So, I mean, the typical commercial gym will have a lot of machines. You're basically, everybody's performing the same kinds of movements, right? A bench press is a bench press, a squat's a squat. And for the most part, you know, everybody kind of follows a particular system or style of training. Uh, and it's a lot of it's based off of uh, equipment that is uh, very linear, right? There's, you can only move one way in, in the equipment that you use, and it doesn't really mimic uh, real life very much. So the big thing that we do here is every, most of the things are body weight. It's calisthenics. You know, gymnasts tend to be some of the strongest, most flexible people in the world, and 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 you know, we take a component of their training. So we think of like gymnastic strength training versus their actual skill training. And we can figure out maybe some better ways to help people build strength, build flexibility, um, improve their performance without negatively impacting 
their long-term health, which we typically see a lot in, you know, things like, I would group it as like survival fitness. So we think of things like F45 or CrossFit. Um, there are some good facilities that have really good instructors that do really well with those programs. But the overall theme is, you know, you create a, a training program or a workout that basically is just meant to just, just kill you, destroy, like just, you know, we praise that we uh, survived a workout, uh, yes. which is, is all good and all, um, but that, that's not typically like what training should be all the time. So there's, there could be a time and a place for these kinds of workouts, um, but to do it all the time is not ideal. Um, I think there was a, a talk recently that Eddie Cohn did, like he's um, an incredible power lifter. And, you know, he talks a little bit about the idea that people are maximum, they're like using their maximum load all the time and to not do so, they feel like they're not gonna make the, the benefits mm. uh, to the level that they want. But the problem is that if you're going at that level of intensity all the time, you're actually being, it's very detrimental to your long-term health and long-term goals. Um, so a lot of it, there's a mental component to all this as well. Um, now, and I'll kind of just randomly go off on like little tangents. So if you need to pull me back, like go for it, you know? No, I, I that's something I think um, that makes you unique actually. And I always appreciate your tangents because it takes me into spaces that I don't even think about. Um, and so I appreciate it. <laughs> Um, with, so can you talk to me then, um, like, I think I'm a really great case study for, uh, before and after. So I showed up mm -hmm. with a conventional mindset with the two range movement. I didn't even use some of the parts of my body, but one of the other things that I found is like, what changed in my mind? Um, what, what can you talk to me about what happened to me since being in your gym for about a year now? Yeah, I mean, I think the the big thing is, you know, if you're, there's not many facilities like ours in the world. Um, and, and, and I think a big part of that is it requires, one, we don't really use many much equipment. So in that sense, it's kind of disruptive to the whole fitness industry as a whole, like, we don't really buy into like, you need to buy a bunch of equipment to do things, right? Like, when I travel, and I work with clients away from the gym like I basically have my entire gym in a in a small bag with just a bunch of rubber bands and anything you can do in the gym like I can do with my little small bag of bands right um so when people look at the commercial gyms that are around them whatever your environment is like you're going to think that that's normal right mm. and that's what's what everybody does that's what's common and so if you've only been exposed to that for your entire life you just you don't know what else is out there and you don't actually know that there's a different way of doing things it makes it even harder if you're not really a professional in the industry and you see all the professionals training in a certain way you're like oh those guys are the the smart guys they should know what is best but even they don't even know what else is really out there um it's 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 a systematic problem you know like i think people now like the professionals are just so eager to just get more and more certifications. They end up just learning more and more different kinds of systems, but they don't actually learn critical thinking. So 
And this even goes back to our education system, like in the USA, where you can go to university and you're not really actually thought, you're not really taught how to like, like learn. You're not taught how to critically think. You're, you're very much just lectured at and expected to memorize and understand whatever information you're being told and accepting that as to be like the ultimate truth. Uh, I would encourage people to kind of spread out and get into calisthenics as you learn how to use your body. When you're using machines all the time, you don't really, you don't really learn that. And so how would you, how, how would you advise someone to start critically thinking? Like, first of all, how would you, what advice could you give me to just start critically thinking? And then how can I start critically thinking about like my body movements and me in the gym? So one of the things that I really like to talk, one of the things is like just a learning process. So how do you actually like learn how to do something? Um, and you need to create a, basically like a feedback group of some kind, you know? Uh, one of the big problems we tend to see with a lot of people is that even if they, there's a big gap between what you know and how you behave and how you act. So, you know, everybody knows to some degree, like that they should be eating, you know, quote unquote, healthier or healthy, and they know what that probably should be, but do, how many people actually do it, you know, um, or even really attempt it? Um, even in the gym, you know, like, I think the knowledge is what really separates the, the high level coaches from the lower level coaches. And knowledge is something that you want to gain as an individual as well. Even if you're not a professional, you still want to learn how to use your own body. You still want to know some of the basics so you can become more independent, right? So creating that feedback loop is really going to help you in really understanding, like, do your actions, is your movement really um, in line with what your perception of what you're doing is? Um, so I think that's, that's quite important. Um, another basic concept that kind of falls in line with that is this, the idea of like compensations. So when you're uh, fatigued, you're typically going to make a lot of compensations to your movements. You know, when you're lifting like a weight off the ground, your body doesn't actually know any, doesn't know why you're doing it. You know, when it comes to like the idea of survival, it just understands that you need to complete a certain task because uh, it has some bearance on your survival, right? Now, your body is smart in that it wants to be most efficient. And then typically what that means is to use as little energy as possible to perform the movement that you want to perform. But that doesn't mean that that actual movement is, um, you know, anatomically sound or is actually um, best with regards to like how you use your muscles. You know, like you can't really be intuitive with your body if you've never actually learned how to use your body. Hmm. Uh, and it goes with anything, any Whoa. skill you want to learn, right? So I can't, like, if I, I've never skateboarded in my life as a complete beginner, I can't have, like, an advanced person just tell me, like, hey, you got to be intuitive and just, and just jump on the board. Like, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, maybe eventually I will learn, but I'll probably make way more mistakes than I should. I have no feedback process, so I'm not making the corrections the way that I need to. 
and maybe eventually like after i don't know a decade i might get really good but everything about my technique is is really off and um and and it probably is going to lead towards uh major injuries in the future um just because like i don't know how to land or i don't know how to jump or i don't know how to place my feet properly or i'm not wearing the right shoes or you know whatever it could be um so as a beginner you do want to i would highly encourage people to get personal trainers you know and find one that's going to be really smart and actually teach you how to do everything as opposed to just tell you what to do um that's that's so finding a mentor to that regard is is also going to be very helpful man uh that really hit me like you can't just tune in to be intuitive like you need guidance to be intuitive because i even was led to believe just feel in your body but like if you don't know what the correct feeling is supposed to feel like how do you know you're on the track so um how would you help people with your level of knowledge and like you're you're um pretty educated in the industry what advice could you give people to like who should we listen to to start educating ourselves like to build this level of discernment because that's something that i've been seeking to do for myself is like there's a lot of information out there but how do i know what is correct yeah that's a i mean that's a tough one um so you know a, a lot of a lot of it really comes just from like personal recommendations there's a lot of coaches that i think are phenomenal coaches but they're not really like globally really well known uh i would highly encourage someone to i mean you basically want to start off with one one person that you you would look up to uh whoever that might be there might be someone in your life right now that you kind of already look up to with regards to like social media or exercise or fitness whatever maybe someone like Ben Greenfield or maybe you want to you follow Tim Ferriss or any of those like really really big guys so those typically are the people that most people are um, familiar with right um, from there then obviously you're going to hear like what their recommendations are and that will take you down a certain path but the the problem comes into thinking that you know they'll someone will pick up like a book of like habits of highly successful people and then then they just like try to collect all these habits and they try to implement it into their own life but again there's no feedback system so they're not actually understanding if those tips or those cues or those habits are actually a good fit for who they are as an individual so when you start selecting like who you want to follow um you do want to continue to be a critical thinker you know you do want to so three main things that i think are very important for a good coach is one do they actually do what they're asking you to do right are they training in the same way or in a similar manner as to what they're actually wanting you to do so if there's someone that teaches flexibility like do they actually work flexibility um that's that's also quite that's quite important right uh two is like do they actually produce results but the second part the sec the caveat to that is caveat to that is do they actually pr produce results at a high rate um without the negative side right so mm. if they have a thousand success stories but they have 10,000 stories of failure 
it's not really a good success rate, you know? Like what's their actual success rate versus like just the pure absolute numbers that they're at, that they're uh, producing. And then, um, but that can be also difficult because a lot of people, like once they get negative feedback on their Instagram or something that's on a public forum, what they'll do is they'll just delete it, right? They'll delete all the negative comments. They'll delete, even if it's not negative, they'll delete uh, comments that question their reasoning or their, or their logic or their methodology. What you should actually really be looking for is, are there comments that are questioning of their reason and logic? And then do they actually leave it on their Instagram and do they respond to it? So that is a big thing that I always ask my members to always do, my clients and even other coaches that I ask is like, I want continued uh, feedback as to does it, does my argument make sense? Is it logical? Uh, and maybe I'm not communicating things in the proper way, right? That might be just a problem. Um, am I not thinking of it in a in the proper way? Maybe there's some information that I wasn't privy to in in my process of figuring out what program is best. So you want those three main things, right? Like, is there argument, the reasoning, is there programming logical? Uh, can you use critical thinking to break it down? Uh, are they open to criticism? Are they open to getting questioned? Uh, but in, obviously in a civil way, right? You're not going to just start bashing people for no reason. Um, you're just trying to better understand their their reasoning, their logic. And then also, do they do what they're doing, right? So it's kind of really, that that part can be hard, right? Like why, you know, it's not to say that there's not really smart, like really fat trainers, but it is a little bit hard to trust someone like that to help you lose weight if they can't lose weight themselves. Uh, it's not always 100%, but at least it's a, it's a red flag, you know, to some degree. Do you think they could still know though? Or is that like, because for me, it's really tough. Uh, I heard the saying, to know and not to do is not to know. So if you have a fat trainer, would you say they understand? That they understand what? Well, like you said that you could, it's not that they don't know, but like, I'd love to hear your viewpoint on that. Like if they are a fat trainer, like do, how much do they understand them? If you're looking to lose weight and you're taking guidance from a fat trainer. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to say generally. I mean, because the thing about it is, is that at the end of the day, it's does it fit what your specific goals are, you know? So let's say, I mean, let's say they're in powerlifting or they're in a particular sport that requires them to be bigger. Cause like, like, like fat and fat and, and be, and having a high level performance, that's very different than just being purely just fat. Right. So like, for example, there's some guys like that play American football. They, if you just looked at them, you know, they would just look incredibly big. They might look really fat, you know? But there's a certain requirement, like you need a certain size for certain positions mm -hmm. that are just necessary so that you can perform at a very high level. So they're, they're at a certain weight or they're at a certain size for a very, very specific reason. So it's not, you know, I can just say generally just fat, but you can actually be, you know, a bigger person and be a very high level performer within yeah. the sport or activity that you want to do. Um, but if you're if you're promoting like 
a healthy lifestyle just for the general populace uh, and, and, not, and it's not particular to any particular sport, you know, it, there's tons of research, you know, just about the idea that having too much visceral fat, having too much load on your skeletal system is, is very unhealthy, right? It's, it's very taxing on your cardiovascular system and it's, and it's just not a healthy way to live. Uh, I'm technically borderline obese, you know, for my height and my weight. Uh, I think I'm so like 173, 174 centimeters, um, about almost 90 kgs. But I don't think anybody would consider me like, I don't think anybody would look at me and say, oh, you're obese, uh, just because of my high percentage of, uh, of lean tissue. But, uh, but again, you know, there's differences in, um, there's nuances, right? Between sure. saying like someone just fat um, and skinny, just because someone's skinny too, doesn't mean they know how to lose weight. Yeah, that's a good um, point. So you also want to look at what are their past experiences like as well, because that can be, it can be beneficial to helping them create a better program and being a better coach, but it doesn't mean that they will be a good coach. So it, it can get complicated. Because sometimes, again, we need to look at those three things, right? Are they producing results, but are they also logical and using creative thinking in, in their process? Is there good reasoning as to why they're doing things? Um, that's obviously very tough. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, Ian, you're someone that's really into humanized or human optimization. Um, what is human optimization to you? What does that mean to you? Well, if you, I mean, if you look at how generally how humans have progressed over the last uh, century, even the last decade, right? Um, there was a, there was a time Roger Bannister way back in the days, right? Where he, nobody broke a four minute mile. And, and then once he broke the four minute mile, you know, since then, even since then, I think it was like 1964 or something like that. Um, I think there's been like almost 20 high school kids that have broken the four minute mile, right? And so there's there's a big barrier in what we what we perceived, right? And what were our limiting beliefs were, because at that point before he broke it, nobody, everybody was like, it's impossible. Nobody's ever gonna break a four minute mile. And now it's a relatively common occurrence among higher level athletes, right? So the way higher level athletes perform now is at a significantly uh, higher uh, level than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, even last year, right? So how do, how do we know like what's possible in the next 10 years or the next 20 years or the next 100 years, whatever, you know? I think that because we don't actually, you don't actually know where the top is, um, you know, we all should be striving for the idea of maximizing whatever our human potential is. Um, so whatever you were, one thing you can't control are basically your genes. Um, so there's like a funny meme of, you know, how do you, you know, get stronger? How do you do, you know, get increase your performance is like get better genes. And it was like a supplement, to like get better <laughs> genes. But, but that's, I mean, that's one thing you can't really control. You can but there's a certain level, right? Like just because you're born a certain um, way doesn't mean that you cannot maximize your, your potential, you know? Um, I think people get caught up in just seeing 
high level performing athletes or high level performing entrepreneurs or whatever it might be. And they use that as their target is what they want to reach. Um, but it might not be something that is, you can accomplish, right? Your, your genes just might not be at that same level. Like Michael Jordan, um, phenomenal athlete. He could stay out until like three o'clock in the morning, 24 hours, just gambling and drinking and eating whatever he wanted. He had a reputation for eating a full steak before every game. Um, you know, he did a lot of things that a conventional athlete wouldn't do nowadays, but he'd still perform at a super high level. So you wouldn't use as an example to be like, all right, I'm just going to eat a massive steak before every game and then try to perform. Like it just doesn't, you can't just take some the actions or habits of high level performing people and then try to apply it to your life. It just doesn't really work that way. Um, so yeah, human optimization is, you know, you're thinking about even the most basic fundamental things like is your nutrition on point, right? Is your sleep on point? Is your stress management, uh, are your techniques for that really good? You know, um, gut health is a really big one, obviously. So stress management is kind of at the center of really all of it. Um, and then you also talk about your immune system, right? So are you, are you physically strong? Are you physically able to perform really well? But you get sick, you know, every month. You get sick every six months if you're getting sick very often then something is wrong so um you create a feedback loop too with everything that happens right uh we're kind of in a weird place because we're like the only animals in the world that don't know what to eat and we, <laughs> we don't like we don't actually we're not we don't actually have a good balance with our environment uh, because our environment is very unnatural right i mean look at we're wearing blue blocking glasses is, is weird we're talking on this stuff <laughs> so you talk about stress management um what are some things you do for stress management you're a guy that's just a, a workhorse um and your health is always on point i know that you went and got tested at bsi and your results came back like pretty much you got straight a's um for people yeah. that are watching um what can they do for stress management what are some things you do? Yeah, so it's something that's going to be built up over time. You know, and it's a weird, you know, I'm not, this this concept of um, you're trying to purposefully stress your, your system, whichever system that might be, whether it be your gut or your immune, like just your immune system, you're stressing um, your body through training is that you want to find the appropriate amount of stress that forces uh, adaptation, right? And so you can go to an, uh, an extreme of, let's say microdosing on, on known toxins, right? Um, I think there's a lot of guys in the States right now, like biohackers that are, that are experimenting with uh, psychedelics on, and microdosing and uh, seeing how that would you know, affect the body in, you know, the mental or the physical, but you can take this with, uh, with almost anything, right? So you can microdose on, let's say heat therapy. So like Dr. Rhonda Patrick is really, she's got a ton of really good information on cold shock and heat shock therapy that can be very beneficial to the body. Um, but with like any stress, right? It's like the dosage matters, um, giving yourself time to recover uh, is, is incredibly important. So, and you might, and you want to test yourself from time to time. So again, the testing is important because 
you need some feedback, right? You need to know if you're making improvements. So at the very beginnings, you need to find what your baseline is. So I would encourage people to, if they can afford it, like try to get a relatively comprehensive uh, blood test done. Uh, and you can, I would say, look into like Ben Greenfield or uh, Rhonda Patrick, or there's some other, other maybe some of the facilities around you, like anti-aging clinics or whatever. Um, so you want to get like your testosterone tested. Um, you want to just get all your hormones tested uh, and just figure out where that baseline is. Um, and so once you figure that out, then you can kind of start applying stress to your life um, in, the, in the appropriate manner. Um, and how much stress is too much or too little. It's like you kind of have to experiment with it because it's not the same for everybody. Uh, over the course of time, so like I haven't been, I haven't had like a virus or been sick uh, in 15 years. The most I've had in that time, I think I had a 24 hour bug. Like it's just a stomach bug from some, I don't know, some, I just ate raw fish and it was just like really hot. And I don't, I don't think it was cooked properly or, or not cooked properly, but not prepared properly. Um, but besides that, like I haven't been sick at all. And, you know, even the basic concept of eating more dirt, you know, just like getting dirty is, is an important thing, right? Like locking yourself up and using all these antibiotic sprays and, um, you know, using antiseptics all the time. Like it's actually not that good for you uh, in the long run because it just makes you weaker, right? Your body's going to react to these stresses. If there's no stress around you, your body's going to consistently get weaker. Uh, you actually have to actively seek out these stressors that are going to challenge you. Obviously not kill you, but yeah, challenging is, is, is the key word. Yeah. Yeah. Actually you talk something which I found really interesting. Um, you, your, your approach to injury um, rehab is really interesting. So um, let's say someone's recovering right now, wants to get back in the gym. Would you say like conventionally, they're kind of told to not work it, rest it. But I know like when you fractured your hand recently, you were working your fingers out like quickly after. Do you just want to talk about uh, your philosophy on that? Yeah, sure. So like depending on the injury, obviously, um, but like the overall general concept is so like whether you broke a bone or you tore a ligament, well, ligaments are a little ligaments and muscle tendons and stuff like that's a little bit different, but, um, but let's say you broke a bone. Um, if you, if you broke a bone that like, let's say you broke your collarbone, like you want to rest enough so that the bones get set. Um, what you don't want, because the, your skeletal, your skeletal system doesn't, inherently move on its own right it's being pulled by your muscles and your tendons and your ligaments so the action of moving will actually like pull the it'll pull your bone apart if um, if it's if it's broken already right um so you want the bones to set for sure you know so if you're in a cast like you want your bones to set before you start doing anything um that stresses the the injury but once the bones are set um you can start moving immediately, right? Um, and, and that doesn't mean that you have to start lifting heavy weights, right? So like, just like this, this case for my earphones, um, this inherently is just a weight, right? Um, you know, moving my fingers with no external load is, you know, if I broke my knuckle, my finger is, is the external load, right? It's like moving that is, is very difficult. 
Um, so you want to do this in a very controlled manner, right? So you, you wouldn't go out and start playing sports right away. Um, but if you're in the gym, you're, you know, you're lying down on the floor and you just like just moving your fingers around. Sure. It's going to be uncomfortable, but rehabilitation is highly uncomfortable. Um, anybody that's gone through the rehab process really understands that. But the basic idea of like rehab is like, how can we get you back to full range of motion as quickly as possible, uh, maintain and increase your strength through that range of motion as quickly as possible. And you do this all within a relative uh, safe range. So you're not looking to obviously re-injure yourself. So, you know, a good example would be like, you know, if you're lying on the floor and you cannot pick yourself up, what are the chances that you would actually hurt yourself? Probably very slim. Uh, because you don't have anywhere to go. You're just already on the ground uh, versus if you're in a standing position and you have an external load on your back and I ask you to perform a squat, you would have a higher risk of injury just because you have this external load on top of you um, and you have nowhere to go but down really, you know? So you have actually a lot of, you can get compressed by the weight. Whereas if you're just trying to get off the ground, there's nothing to really hurt yourself, right? You can't actually exude enough uh, energy or strength to, to actually do any damage really. So when you think about like your rehab process, you know, um, you wanna think about how is that external load being applied to the injury or applied to the exercise that you're performing that either increases or decreases the, the level of risk of, of the movement. Um, and, and so you just want to find a load that is appropriate to the joint or the arm or muscle or whatever you're using uh, that you're trying to recover and, uh, and start applying stress immediately or as, as soon as possible. And, uh, and then give, your time, give yourself time to rest as well because you need that to recover and to make that adaptation to get stronger faster. Uh, what you don't want to do is be in a cast for three months because the doctor said, and then in three months time, you don't use your arm. So your arm atrophies and you lose half of your muscle mass. And then you have to spend another three months to get back to normal function. And then you need to spend another three months to get back to a level that maybe you can start, let's say playing basketball again, you know? Um, it shouldn't be a nine month process. It should probably be a three month process um, and you see it with professional athletes sometimes where, you know, they get a, an initial, uh, like return date of like 12 to 18 months, but then they come back in nine months. It's like, oh, wow. How did they do that? Well, they don't do conventional, um, rehabilitation, right? They're not following what, like if a doctor says 12 to 18 months, like I have a bas basketball player I'm working with right now. And the physical rehab that he has him doing after month two is exactly the same as what he was doing a week after surgery. When you think of the basics of like how the body works and how it responds to stress is like you can't, you can't lift, you know, continuously lift like one kilo, two kilo dumbbells in the gym and then expect to be able to lift five kgs, 10 kgs um of like grocery bags out in the real world like that doesn't make any sense like your training should actually be more difficult than what you need to do in the real world 
Um, and so it needs to be progressively get more difficult as you get stronger, the exercise needs to get more difficult to, to make the proper adaptations. Um, otherwise you're just gonna get weaker or yeah, you're just inherently gonna get weaker if you're not getting stronger. Yeah, that makes, uh, that makes sense. I, I was intrigued by your uh, philosophy around rehab. Um, so you're right now researching this thing or I'm not aware of it. I actually heard of it for the first time, peptides. What is a peptide and what is the importance of it? And why is it, uh, yeah, why is it important? Um, well, well, peptides are, are naturally occurring in the body. You know, these are amino acids. And when we think about, so right now, the big thing that's kind of going around are uh, peptide injections or peptide therapy. And it's been around for a while. The man, the Russians have been playing around with peptide therapy for a really long time. It seems like the Russians are quite ahead of a lot of people when it comes to like these kind of experimental, well, like quote unquote experimental like procedures or processes that help push the physical limit of the body. And it happened a lot, you know, you'll see a lot of examples of this in, um, in the military, right? Military is always looking for new advanced ways of helping their, their personnel uh, be more superhuman. But um, the, the nice thing about, like the good thing about peptides relative to let's say more like synthetic um, uh, injections, is an example would be like synthetic HGH versus like HGH peptides. Um, so growth hormones, right? And so when we think about peptides generally, they uh, are more supportive and more promoting um, and of a natural level of what your HGH production should be versus promoting unnatural levels, right? And the thing about synthetic injections is that it also doesn't support the system to maintain the that level of production it actually kind of forces the system to shut down so like let's say for example like plants and using pesticides so naturally like plants protect themselves you know from bugs in a, in a very natural way they kind of produce their own uh, chemicals that ward off bugs so, but what we do is like, we spray these plants down to protect the plants. So what ends up happening is that because the plants are continuously sprayed down with the synthetic chemical, they no longer produce their own protective mechanisms against mm. being eaten. So now they become very weak, right? And so if we were to stop essentially spraying them with pesticides, they would just get massively destroyed uh, because they have no means of protecting themselves. So, when you inject synthetic stuff, you know, it's basically kind of doing the same thing. It's, it's shutting down that natural production system. So once you stop taking it, you're kind of still, you're kind of fucked, you know? Um, whereas HGA peptides, the idea is that it's much more supportive of the system. So going back to the plant example is like, okay, what could we give them that let's say these bugs and these bugs are becoming super bugs. Um, what can we give the plants that would actually help promote their internal like kind of immune system to fight off these bugs better? Not how can we actually just protect the bugs and put them in a bubble so or protect the plants and put them in a bubble so that they don't actually have to be 
forced to adapt to the challenge of, you know, being eaten by the bugs. Um, so yeah, so we go back to like the idea of peptides is that it's, it's highly encouraging the body to behave in a more natural way. And, you know, for sure, we want to take a lot of very holistic, uh, a, a lot of what we, and this is in combination with other stuff. So it's not just like you're only doing peptides and nothing else. Is peptides you're still making sure ingested that you're, or injected? They, it can be either. So but what is like uh, conventional right now? In the so market. it's it's more it's typically seen as being more beneficial if it's injected into the body. So it's you just do it with like an insulin needle. So it's no different than people that take diabetes shots, um, and, and they're relatively at small doses. And um, it has the same effects as HGH. So the idea is, well, again, there's like synthetic HGH and there's like HGH peptides. So okay. the idea of peptides, and it goes, I mean, you can do a whole massive uh, like podcast on one kind of peptide. Sure. There's like 900 different kinds. But the, the basic idea of peptides is that it's encouraging your body to behave in a more natural way. Now, why, why do you think, like, why would someone want to take these, right? Um, when you can do all these other kind of natural processes that would help you behave more naturally. Well, the problem is that like, we live in a highly unnatural environment. Um, there's a lot of unnatural stresses that you're putting on the body. And um, so I, I look at it in the, an idea of like, let's say taking vitamins, if you're vitamin deficient in something, right? Like what can we do to help uh, encourage the body to behave more optimally in a very highly unnatural environment? And, um, and, and it might not be appropriate for everybody. It might not be, optimal for everybody and not all peptides would be great for everybody as well right there's like specific peptides that are really good for connective tissue uh regeneration and there's like some peptides that are really good with regards to like cell regeneration uh you know stem cell is is a really big um, thing that's made a lot of progress over the years and is starting to become more uh, of an accepted treatment you know how does um you know you hear about some basketball players that in the off season, they go to Germany or they go to Mexico and they get, you know, these, um, these treatments that they can't get in the USA. And how does that help them in their recovery process? You know, because the, the amount of stress they put on their body over the course of a season is, is very damaging to their body. So, you know, not only is it beneficial in the short term, but also it, you know, if it adds, you know, two, three years to their career, then it's, you know, to them, it's completely worth it. Now, with regards to like long-term uh, negative effects, from what I've seen so far, and uh, you know, obviously there'll be continued research and all this stuff. That's why, like, you know, Ben Greenfield and other high-level biohackers kind of do what they do. Is like they're the ones kind of doing experimentation on themselves, right, for the benefit of of everyone else. It's the idea of you know technology as well, where like if you're the first person to adapt the new tech. New tech uh, that comes out is like there's going to be a lot of bugs, right? There's going to be a lot of yeah. problems with that product, and um, and you you might get the new stuff, but it also there might be like no bugs, and you might be like the first person with this like superhuman computer that can do everything, you know? I mean, who knows? But um, but there's a level of experimentation with everything, right? Because what governments and what the pharmaceutical industry is typically going to um, 
suggest is one is generally to their own benefit, um, but also two, it's on a mass. It, they're looking at the mass picture, right? So, if ninety percent of the people receive minimal positive benefits, and there's only like ten percent that get some negative, it's like it's an equation they're going to recommend is be like, well, most people are benefiting from this, um, but the individual, but. I mean, you have to think about this on a spectrum, right? It's not, everything is not just so clearly as like, it's good for you, it's bad for you. Some things are, um, but not everything is, you know? So um, I, I would encourage you to, obviously you want to get more information. Like the, don't just start injecting yourself with a bunch of peptides. Um, get, get more information, talk to a uh, clinic near you, talk to a doctor, you know, and see if it's something that would be uh, beneficial. I know like in Russia, in some places, they even have peptide over the counter right now. Like you just go up and just get it. Um, but again, it's, it's the idea is again, it's, it's about being uh, supportive and promoting the body to behave in a more natural um, way. And, uh, and, and to be able to eventually get off of it, right? So you're trying to get your body back to normal, so that it produces, uh, you know, it does what it needs to do at a natural level without having to need the peptides. The peptides are just helping you get back to where you need to be. So due to our natural, our, our unnat unnatural world, are we in lack of peptides? Is that would be the purpose? Like what would be the predominant um, benefit for taking? Cause you're saying getting your body back to the natural level, but like, is this for people that are looking to, uh, build muscle growth, uh, fitness level, or is this just in uh, overall health? Um, you can use it in a number of ways for sure. Like someone could be completely healthy. There's no real reason why they should take it from a health perspective, but they just want to take HGH because they want to get bigger muscles. Like you could take it like that if you wanted to. Um, I, I take it purely from partially like experimental but a lot of it is really about being preventative so i don't want to wait until my joints give out before i start taking care of them you know i don't want to wait for my flexibility to start to decrease before i start working on my flexibility i don't want to wait until i'm sick before i start working on getting my immune system stronger like i'm constantly trying to get my immune system stronger constantly trying to get just stronger in general, constantly making sure that my gut health is good, that my immune system is functioning properly, that I manage my stress from the day to day as much as possible, because that stuff accumulates over time, you know, and what you don't want to happen is, you know, you perform a certain action, your body has an amazing capacity to adapt, you're you're adapting to something negative in your environment for 10, 20 years, and then you know, quote, like suddenly you, you get out of bed and you can't walk anymore because you have a massive tumor in your back or something like that. You know, like you don't just wake up one day and just suddenly have cancer. Like that stuff builds up over time. You know, you don't get like any like lung disease in just like a day, you know, like all these things are accumulating and the stress management part is really important because, you know, we all have like, for example, cancer genes. You know, we all have, we all have different genes that can be, ex that can express themselves in a very negative way. So how do we 
be preventative in, in our in our practice, in our nutrition, in our lifestyles that help reduce um, the possibility of something negative happening in the future. Um, and to how much you need to do it, it's really up to the individual. Um, some people might need to do it more than others, but the problem is that you just don't know until it happens. You don't know if it's enough until something bad happens. So it's, you can't really prepare too much, really. So are you injecting it right now? Or are you taking it orally? Uh, I do injections and I cycle through different kinds of peptides. So like I haven't tried, I haven't particularly tried the HGH ones yet, um, but I have done, so there's like these two ones that are, that I find to be quite good for myself and others that have had uh, connective tissue uh, issues like chronic tendonitis or anything like that with regards to tendons and ligaments. Uh, one is called BPC-157 and the other one's called TB-500. Uh, they're kind of quote unquote like the Wolverine peptides. Uh, so just helping with the regeneration of those connective tissues. Um, they're typically done in like four to six week cycles. Uh, I'm like personally, I'm only going to do it twice a year, like maximally. And, and again, it's from a, it's from a preventative perspective. A lot of the training that we do at the end range puts a lot of stress at the joints. Um, and I think when it comes to training and longevity, like joint health is, is one of the main things that people need to focus on. Cause you hear in the States, there's so many people getting knee surgeries and hip surgeries and hip replacements and elbow replacements, whatever it might be. It's, it's very weird to get to a point where it's now normal or it's thought of as normal to get a hip replacement. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's not a, it's not a normal for me. It's, it's well below uh, what I would consider normal. So yeah, hip, hip mobility, like just freedom of, your joints, right? To be able to move it in any way that you want. Shoulders, health is obviously very important. Joint health overall is just really quite important. So um, anything that helps with joint health, I think is, uh, I'm a big proponent of for sure. Uh, that is something that I am love about Nirvana <laughs> is that uh, yeah. all of this aspect, the longevity aspect. I think it's something that, um, until something goes, you don't really consider, but then sometimes when it goes, it's almost too late. So I love this. Um, so I got two, two more final questions. What, yeah, um, sure, if, if you could give us a checklist, like you, you've got, you've got a lot in, um, you've got a lot of experience in a lot of this stuff. Let's say like a lot of people that are listening right now are probably not uh, as uh, knowledgeable maybe uh, in the field of work that you do and exercise and health and all that let, let what what kind of basic let's say i walked in there day one in nirvana and i'm like ian i want to just improve like my overall i know obviously you can't give like a basic thing to everyone because it's case by case but let's say you could what would be like here's do these five things or these six things, these seven things to help you uh, to get your, to a better health? Um, yeah, so when it comes to like, let's say nutrition, 
I think most everybody should, you're going to start off always with an elimination diet. Um, you want to get rid of as many different foods in your diet that will cause any kind of negative stress. Um, so any kind of toxins, any of that kind of sort. Um, there's different kinds of elimination diets. You know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to go too much into like whether you should do like a carnivore or um, I, the only thing I would say is like, don't do, uh, don't do it like a juice cleanse or um, any of these like kind of fad detox programs. Like it's all, it's all bullshit. Like don't listen to that crap. Um, <laughs> but you generally want to get rid of, like you want to get rid of stimulants. So, you know, spend a good two weeks, like don't have any coffee, don't drink any alcohol, get rid of sugars. Yeah. So three main things for sure. You got to get rid of the sugars you got to get rid of uh, refined flours and you got to get rid of uh, seed oils vegetable oils like those three for sure like if you just got rid of those and consistently did not have them in your diet you would be better off than i don't know a very high percentage of individuals especially in the usa you know um so for cooking, stick with butter, stick with coconut oil, stick with olive oil um, for food. Um, stop drinking so much sugar. Stop eating so much sugar. Like, just stop, you know? Um, and then the refined flours, you know, that's just, those are, those are the big kind of things that are really, really toxic to the body and that we consume at very high levels. So you'd probably see the most benefit if you just got rid of those three things on a even after the first two weeks, like you just need to get rid of those all the time. Um, with regards to training, like find someone that can help you with your joint range of motion. Um, you know, whatever they might call it, you might even find a physical therapist that will help teach you how to perform certain rehabilitation movements uh, and to do them in the proper way. It's not to say that, I'm not saying that every physical therapist knows what they're doing. Uh, but at least they'll have some basic knowledge with regards to like how to rehab joints that is a starting place for you. And so joint health is always going to be a positive. So the exercises they do, they typically will use them for rehabilitation purposes, but you can use them for prehabilitation purposes. You can increase the intensity as much as you need to, to, um, to fit your current capacity to perform those movements. And um, so, yeah, joint health exercises are going to be uh, quite good. Um, Information-wise, man, there's just so many different resources to, to think about. Um, you know, I would, I would look into some biohackers. You don't want to obviously do everything that they do, but they are doing a lot of the hard work as far as finding out like if you're in the middle of like Iowa, America, like you just don't know where to search, at least like looking at what, look at what biohackers do. Look at, look among like a lot of them, like maybe 10 different biohackers that you want to look at and do, see do what they're all doing. In particular you listen to that you would advise. Um, I mean, the only one that kind of really comes to mind is like Ben Greenfield, but I don't really follow him that much. Um, you know, him, even Tim Ferriss, I guess, to some extent, would be considered like a biohacker. Um, 
there's some other guys similar to like Tim Ferriss where they're, they're just looking how, like, how can I make my time, my daily life more efficient, right? Like those kind of guys where they're just like, they're looking for efficiency. They're not so much into the biohacking that they're doing full on experiments, like, but they are, they're in the know and they're also just constantly looking out for the new thing. And they also have the financial means to test some of these things out. So uh, yeah, those guys might be a good place to start. Uh, nowadays, I have, you know, quite a quite a lot of people at the gym that I always talk things through as well. So, I mean, coming here to Nirvana, like, you'll meet so many people that are doing their own kind of like small uh, processes and little experiments on themselves. Um, or even if you want to come and it's like we talk more about peptides. I don't know everything, but I have a few doctors that I speak with that own anti-aging clinics and regenerative medicine clinics. And I bounce off a lot of ideas off of them as well. Unfortunately, there's like a lot of information that is quite difficult to find because there's just not um, the extensive history of research, you know, and you may need to find information in some very um, like even sketchy websites, you know, um, and you may find like, you know, a lot of this stuff, especially like what the Chinese used to do with regards to medicines, you know, they do what they do over thousands of years of experimenting, right? They're not running like clinical studies. Um, so, but I think you don't want to be so quick to write things off if there's not, you know, massive clinical studies, because even studies can be massively misinterpreted and, mm -hmm. and not perform properly. So um, you definitely want to take everything with a kind of a grain of salt and, and, and work with what works for you. Okay, so you said no refined flour, no sugar, no seed oil, uh, joint health exercise, look into biohackers, anything else you'd add on to that? Uh, with regards to like recovery protocols, uh, for sure, Dr. Rhonda Patrick to look into the cold shock, heat shock therapy. I think I sent you a link with, uh, yeah, with we a, did. her whole, all of her research. Um, if you're curious, if you're interested in like ketogenic, um, diets, I would recommend Dom D. Augustino. He's a big keto guy. He's a pretty smart dude. I really like the stuff that he does. Um, there's a few carnivore guys that I think are really quite good and that put out a lot of good information. Um, the, the most recent one that I found, I, I'm a really big proponent of uh, regenerative agriculture, sustainable farming. And there's, I think on Instagram, her Instagram is like sustainable dish or something like that. But she just put out a book with Robert Wolf called uh, Sacred Cow, and they just did a documentary. But I think it's the one thing that I think everybody can get behind is the idea of being having sustainable farming, you know, and regenerative agriculture. It's it's just really quite important. You know, if everybody's just eating whole foods, I think that's a big positive. You know, really what we're trying to fight against is corporations, right? Mm -hmm. Just you still go to the supermarket, you still see 99% of the products are all box stuff, canned stuff, you know? So it's all still quite shit. That makes sense. Um, Red Light Rising has some really amazing uh, products for red light therapy. And they also put out some really nice uh, blue blockers as well. Um, they, and they put out a lot of really good information as to the benefits uh, of those products. So whether you actually like buy their products or not, it doesn't really matter, but at least you can get some good information about, um, about red light there. 
Um, yeah, Chris Kresser does really good things for uh, for nutritionists as well. I think he's a really big uh, uh, ancestral nutrition guy. But you might not agree with everything they say and everything they do. That's fine, but that's that's part of like the process, you know. Um, you know, there might be some really good things about what he does that you really like or you really think are really good, and there might be some things you might think are shits. But you know, like the expression of like "don't throw the baby out with the bathwater." It's like choose the things that you know to be really good or you think are really good and keep those, you know, and incorporate into your process. Um, you know, when I think about like inspirationally, like what coaches that I've looked up to, to help me build this facility, it's, you know, every coach that like from our educational collective, our online summit that we did, you know, like there's like a hundred coaches that I've talked with that helped me continue maintain this place and build it the way that I want to. And I take something positive from all of them, you know, because mm -hmm. um, as a as a community, as a collective, like we can definitely make a lot more. Uh, we can optimize a lot quicker, a lot faster, I think. That makes sense. I appreciate that. I know that definitely some people are going to be taking notes during that section. Um, I, I've got some good notes that I'll put in the comments. Um, so just coming to the end to do like a lightning round, I asked all my guests this. Um, and yeah, we'll just go, th go through it right now. Um, other than the basic apps of like YouTube, Instagram, what's your favorite app on your phone? My favorite app on my phone? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't even know what's on my phone right now. I mean, the one I use the most is WhatsApp because I'm just like talking to everybody, but I don't know if that's like my favorite. But like one that's uh, like cool, like that helps you with your life. Um, I got a, I got an aura ring here, not to give you the finger, but, um, I got an aura, I got an aura ring on. Um, so with regards to like data collection, it's really good. Uh, you know, obviously all these things are the, the level of like accuracy can be debatable, but you're just looking for data points, you know, anything that can help you get some information that you can make better decisions off of, like, you know, whether it be an aura ring or a Fitbit or whatever, something like that, it helps. And even if I don't check the stats every day, like just having it on my finger or on my hand um, does give me some reminder as to like making better decisions throughout the day. Um, and maybe even with the ring, there might be some days where I just be like, I'm just going to eat this cheesecake. I don't care. But, you know, the ring might in some other situations might be enough reminder to be like, oh, maybe not today, you know? Um, so yeah, I like the I like the aura ring. Um, I can't really check my phone right now, but uh, that's cool though. That's good. That that's yeah, a good. App. I think if you had a good if you had a good meditation app, that might be something helpful for a lot of people. Um, I have Calm on my phone. Uh, I use that sometimes. And then journaling, I think, is really important for everybody. So just finding a good journal app would be good. I think I use one called. Uh, it's just called Journey. It's a really super simple one not super complicated i just use the free version um and that's that's more than enough for me Perfect. so yeah journaling meditating uh, obviously really good things and uh and sleep so anything that's going to help you figure out yeah your sleep patterns will be helpful that's cool um what's your most gifted book uh i'm really big into i think in all of this, 
understanding some basic principles and figuring out what your values are, I think are, and what your philosophy is, is gonna be the most important part of it. We're all gonna make mistakes, but if you can, if all your mistakes are made following whatever your philosophy is, whatever your values are, your principles, then at least in, when you're looking back, you can, you know, have a little bit more assurance that at least these were very mindful mistakes, you know, and you can learn from them. So for me, I have a mix of uh, stoicism um, that I'm really big into. And, uh, and there's some uh, texts with regards to Buddhism as a, as a philosophy, not so much Buddhism as a religion, but there's a lot of overlap between Buddhism and Stoicism. Um, and so there's a books by Ryan Holiday that I really like to give out to people. Uh, one of them is just 366 meditations or something like that. Um, it's just nice because every day you can just read a quote from um, a past philosopher. And what I like about what he does in that particular book is that he gives the quote then he gives uh, like a short paragraph. It's like everyone is a five minute read, less than that maybe. And, uh, and he just relates what they're saying in the quote to something that we can kind of more relate to in modern day life. And so it just helps people kind of understand things better. And then it gives you an opportunity to think about how you can apply that to your life. Um, so I think that one's quite good. But whether you do Stoicism or Buddhism or um, other another kind of philosophy, right? It's really about not necessarily following that system per se, but just using it as a guide to understand what your values are better. Because um, there might be some things that they say that you might not agree with, which is fine. You know, again, you want to question everything. Cool. cool. Um, what? What is your, if, if you could put up a sign, let's say in Jakarta, maybe not Jakarta, let's say Las Vegas or uh, New yeah. York. Um, and that sign could only have like uh, a quote on it or one to two sentences. What, what would you want the, what would you want people to know? Like we'll go buy and walk um, by that every day. So I, yeah, you might have to help me with the actual quote, but the idea is to redefine normal, uh, is to understand that what is common is not normal. I think mm. people get those things mixed up. You know, because <laughs> just because just because everybody's doing something around you and that's what is the most common behavior or the most common action that people are taking does not mean that you need to be doing what, it doesn't mean that that's what's most optimal. Um, if everybody around you is, you know, constantly gossiping and spreading rumors and that becomes such a normal part of your routine, like that's actually a really negative thing, you know, and that's gonna be highly stressful to your lifestyle. And to think that that's normal and to just accept it is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's bad. And I think it happens with regards to like the governments that we live in and the standards, like everybody just wants to let other people set standards. So maybe something along the lines of setting your own standards um, and uh, 
and understanding that what is common is not normal. So redefining your new normal. So yeah, maybe you could take those like kind of those three little parts and create into like, you're really good at recreating um, like mottos and quotes and stuff like that. So <laughs> yeah. you can, you could probably condense it in a way that uh, makes more sense. <laughs> okay. And um, finally, in the last six months, what's a new habit that you've created that has positively impacted your life? Uh, I try to take two weekends a month off. Um, and it's just like for me, right? It becomes so it becomes so normal for me to just be grinding away for like 10, 12 hours. And, and the, the issue is not so much of it as being actual work is like, you know, they, they have the expression of like, you know, do what you love. So then you never work. So you never have to life. work. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but kind of a problem with that though, is that, and how do you like define like what is work and then what is, what is play or what is, you know, because I quite enjoy like, you know, this might be weird, but I like reading books on philosophy and you know, like reading books on, um even new uh like on essential nutrition or on like these peptides and stuff like that but it's also part of my my work and my in my life as well um so yeah i do try to so what i have to do now is basically I just have to spend a whole weekend where i just don't do anything i don't do any of that stuff mm -hmm. um so yeah i think it's and we're not meant to be like working all the time um we're actually meant to spend a lot of time in, you know, our play mode, whatever that might be. So yeah, I think definitely like spending more time, um, not actually having stuff to do is I actually have to like schedule that. Right. So funny. Yep. Like yeah, I'm yeah, scheduling. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, okay, that would, that would be the big thing is like, I'm doing much better at organizing, organizing my time, but actually like scheduling that time into my schedule. Right. So I'm scheduling my free time. I'm scheduling my play time. I'm actually just putting that in my schedule then I know it's like an extra reminder to just shut off because mm -hmm. if I my default is like if I look at my schedule and there's nothing there then I just will do work yeah fill so, it. <laughs> yeah 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 I have the same thing um it's something I've acquired to last two months every Saturday is my day now take off yeah all right Ian so we've come to the uh end of the podcast thank you so much for sharing brother how can um, the listeners find you and how can they connect with you? Yeah, so you can uh, find me uh, either through the Nirvana Strength Instagram, um, so just Nirvana Strength or my personal Stoic Mobility. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the two main ways. You can check out our website, nirvanastrengthbali.com uh, um, or you can always come and visit us here at Nirvana Strength in Bali. Uh, I'm pretty much always here. <laughs> yeah, yes, you are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, also, um, if you can't make it over there right now, uh, Ian and Nirvana has created an online um, membership site as well. So if you want to just get started and don't know where to start and being like, man, I've heard this and I heard Ian talk and I don't know where to go and I can't come to Bali just yet. Um, they also, Ian, Ian and Nirvana both put out really great content, but um, a great place to start is their online membership. So uh, that's another uh, place to begin your fitness journey.
Um, yeah, and they'll definitely, um, and, and they're follow-alongs and, and some of the, some of the, and a lot of the classes, we teach them in a very similar manner. So the idea is to actually help you become as independent as possible. Yeah. Um, so we're actually like teaching you how to do all these exercises while we're teaching the class. So it's not just like motivational and trying to kill you. It's, it's actually like helping you move better and feel through movements better and really understanding what it is you're trying to do. So I think that's a big, uh, big difference between our, our class, our online classes and the typical like workout classes that you'll find. Yeah. Yep. And uh, cool. I, I actually follow them too. Sometimes when I don't even go to Nirvana, <laughs> I do it, do it awesome. at home too. And I'm, I'm here in Bali. Um, so thanks again, Ian. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. And for the listeners, uh, this was another episode of Inside Mentors 